All right, good evening, guys. I hope you've all had a blessed week. Um, today's mode, uh, what, what am I even talking about? Um, I had a block thought. We are just going to continue from Romans chapter 12. Amen. Does anybody know the cause of a block thought? Or a thought block or whatever they call it? Too Amen. many thoughts at one time. Too many at one time. Okay. I never knew. So last week we learned about the key to transformation. And we realized that the key to transformation is a renewed mind. So like we've concluded, receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior is not the end or be all. We have to enter into Christ's predestination. And what has he predestined for us as children of God? To be conformed to the image of his Son. And for that to happen, we will have to go on the road of discipleship. See, so salvation, great. But it doesn't just stop there. Now we have to make sure that our confession, our beliefs will line up with how we act. And that is a long process. It's an unending process. Uh, uh, let me also say it's a slow process sometimes. Amen. It might not be very fast, but it needs commitment. It needs consistency. And when we don't give up, we will truly see the fruits of what it means to be a Christian. You will never stop being a Christian. You will never stop maturing. You will never finish discipleship. It's a course you never finish. You know, there are some courses that will give you certificates on this earth. It's never an ending course. You will go uh, until the road is called up yonder. Amen. And then we looked at accompanying habits or traits of a transformed life from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. We looked at 13 of those. Amen. So that's what we learned. I hope you are aware that today the Jews are celebrating their Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. In our time, it's the Day of Atonement. When you read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, once a year, you are supposed to atone for your sins. And these people are still practicing that. In fact, I, I don't know, but this morning, I've really been thinking about the Jews and the nation of Israel a lot. I, I think it also has to do with the last three chapters we did on the book of Romans. Uh, that's chapters 9 to 11. Amen. Uh, it also made me appreciate God for my salvation. And I realized that it came at an expense. It came at the cost of someone's life. Christ dying for us so that we will be free of guilt, we'll be free of sin, we'll be free of shame, we'll be free of condemnation so that we will not have to observe some sort of Yom Kippur. What a blessing. Uh, on the other hand, it also made me really pray for the Jews. I must admit Romans chapter 11 has really changed my posture in how I see the Jews today. I was even telling my wife this afternoon that uh, the chapter 11 has really had a great effect and impact on me even as I thought it's not to look at the Jews as, wow, Christ has come to die. You people are still observing rituals of, you know, don't do that because the Bible says that we should never boast against the branches that have been broken off, knowing that we could can be broken off because we were engrafted. Amen. So uh, our posture towards people who still like to practice old covenant um, practices, even though Christ's death has put an end to this, should be that of humility and intercession for them. Amen. 
All right, let's continue tonight. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. And uh, verses 3 to 8 talks about a set of gifts here that helps the local church. These are known as gifts of service. In the New Testament, there are sets of gifts listed. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, they are known as the gifts of the Son, which is popularly known as ministry gifts or fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry because they are five. Amen. Then when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I believe that you all remember the uh, series I did on the church. I did touch on these things very expansively. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible also enumerates a certain list of gifts they are called the gifts of the Spirit. These gifts, they enable the believer to be a witness to the world and also be a blessing. Or another word uses that, be of profit to the local church. Amen. Tonight, we are going to look at gifts of the Father. So, you see, when you look at the New Testament, you see the gifts of the Trinity. Gifts of the Son, Ephesians chapter 4. Gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And gifts of the Father, Romans chapter 12, our chapter for today. Um, these gifts, they enable us to serve and complement each other in the body of Christ. I mean, all these gifts are for service, basically. Amen. So, the, all the sets of gifts that are listed in the Bible, especially in the uh, New Testament, are basically for service. Amen. So let's start reading verse 3 to 4. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of of faith for we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one amen so before we delve in two important lessons I want us to note here uh, grace is a gift faith is a gift now when the Bible is talking about grace here, you know, one, one of the broadest um, meanings in the Bible is the word grace. You know, it, the popular term of grace is unmerited favor or the definition. And that definition doesn't factor into every scripture in the New Testament you see the word grace. So, for example, when you look at this word grace here, it's just talking about spiritual gifts, charismata. So, so, for I say through, so we can replace that, for I say through the spiritual gift given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So, spiritual gifts or grace gifts are given by the Father. And that's why it's a gift. Amen. So, grace is a gift. And number two, faith is a gift. I think it's very important for us to establish these two things. So, uh, may I submit to your hearing tonight, everybody has received some grace, everybody has received some faith. The God is generous, God is fair. God will not give grace at the expense of leaving others out. Nor will he also give faith 
at the expense of leaving others out. We have all received grace. We've all received faith. And since grace here is a substitute for spiritual gift or charismata in the Greek, may I submit to your hearing that each and every one of us presently sitting here has a gift. He may not know it. And that is why it is my duty or responsibility as a pastor to let you know you have a gift. Amen. And sometimes you don't know these gifts by guesswork. You know these gifts by actually spending time in the house of the Lord. And number two, also availing yourself to just do anything. Because sometimes when you volunteer, that is where you really know, oh, okay, this is where God has called me to do. So it's, it's by fellowshipping with the Lord and also volunteering. That's why in church, a good church will always give an opportunity for members to volunteer to do stuff. Amen. So uh, the, 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 the verse that we just read, that's... Um, the verses, I'm sorry, that's three and four. They begin with a call to sober thinking. And what is sober thinking in this text? Is our thoughts aligning with God's grace or gift upon our lives. You know, sober thinking helps us to appreciate God's grace also upon each other's life. So it's two things. Sober, sober thinking is I appreciate the gift of God in my life. And then number two, sober thinking also appreciates the grace of God upon each other's life. Do you, do you understand? So that's sober thinking. So we are talking about sobriety of thoughts. We are talking about appreciating God's gifts, God's grace upon your life. Number two, appreciating God's gift upon each member of the local church. That's sober thinking. And do you know why it's important to develop this kind of thoughts? Because when we develop this kind of thoughts, uh, we will not become covetous of one another's gifts. You know. You will not be covetous of one another's gifts. Because when you do that, you are also undermining God's generosity. And you are telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. Because God gives gifts as he pleases. This is where the sovereignty of God comes in. Why does God give gifts? He gives gifts because he's sovereign. And he chooses as he pleases. Who is his counselor? Nobody. So it helps us not to be covetous of one another's gifts. You understand? You know, the Bible tells us to desire spiritual gifts. It doesn't tell us to desire someone else's gifts. Desire, desire the gifts of the Bible. Okay, so We have to be able to draw a fine line between those two. Amen. And there is something that happens when we are not sober in thought. When we are not sober in thought, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Just a sin. The Bible says that do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That can only happen when you don't practice sober thinking. So, a preacher should not see him or herself more important than the worship minister. Don't do that. If God has given you the grace to be able to have a pulpit ministry, 
don't see people who have not ascribed to that position inferior. That's what Paul is talking about. And also, a chorister should not see him or herself more important than the cleaner of a church. Everybody is important. If someone doesn't volunteer to vacuum the church halls, if someone doesn't volunteer to clean the, 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 the church restrooms and all that stuff and arrange things and, and become some sort of a facilities manager, how would the church run? Also, if someone also doesn't do the worship service, are you going to tell me we have really done the most important part of service? The most important part of service is to God. And that is through the avenue of worship and giving offering. The second most important part or the secondary part is the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word is not for God. The preaching of the word is for the members. But when it comes to what really belongs to God, the chiefest part of God's is worship. That's it. So everybody has rules. Everybody is important. It's very important for us to know that so that we don't pit gifts against each other and feel like some are superior than others. Amen. And we shouldn't label some gifts inferior. Amen. Paul is telling us that when we practice sober thinking, we see everybody equal because we have all received grace. We've all been dealt with a measure of faith, but we have diversities of operation, differences of administration, and, and how the Spirit sees fit to use. Amen. And it's God that gives. So let me tell you, when you look down upon a gift, you are looking down upon the giver of the gift who is God. Amen. So we should see every gift as equal in the sight of God because we've all been graced and we've received a measure of faith. That's why we can all flow in the gift that we are flowing in. So the grace and faith we have received as believers is not more than someone else's. Try and get that very clear. Amen. Senior pastor, you are not more important than an associate pastor. Associate pastor, you are not more important than a new convert. Even though the new convert doesn't know what gift he may have, you are not more important than him. We are all equal in the sight of God. Personally, that's why I, I hate conventions like this. Tap into my grace. What's the meaning of I should tap into your grace? Because it is the same grace. Or even if I should say volume, if grace can be measured, it's the same volume that we've all, been, we've all received. It might just be a different gifting. Okay? So, uh, we should not promote that. We should rather promote the giver of the gift who is God in this picture. Amen. I, I've come to realize something. The more you read the New Testament, the more it de-emphasizes self, <laughs> the more it de-emphasizes the personality of the minister, the more it de-emphasizes you in the picture, and focuses more on God. That's real ministry, in my opinion. Amen. Now let's continue verse 6, 6 to 8. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us. So like I said, grace has been given to everybody. There is no believer who cannot tell me he hasn't received grace. All of us have received grace. 
and and grace here like i said the substitute of it is gift all of us have received gifts let us use them so do you know why there are some people who walk in the church or in the house of god as if they don't have gifts because they haven't applied the principle of use if you don't apply the principle of use your gift will lie dormant it will be very dormant as simple as that each and everybody in a local church god has given him or her a gift never forget that so look at it if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry let us use it in our ministering he who teaches in teaching one who exhorts in exhortation he who gives with liberality or simplicity he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness amen so let's look into this gift so the very first statement in verse 6 states that we have received the same grace but different gifts. The grace that I have on operation is the same gift in operation in your life. But we may all have different gifts. And the fact that we have different gifts doesn't make one superior or one inferior. All of us are equal. All of us have different functions. The cleaner is not inferior to the senior pastor. The associate minister is not superior than the backing vocalist of the choir who never ever gets the opportunity to even lead a song. We are all the same. But we all have different giftings. Do you, do you understand that? So there is parity in the house of God. There is an even kill. But the thing is that we all have different ways by which our gifts will manifest and will express so that it can create a healthy, balanced church. Amen. I, I, really, I really believe that one of the reasons why there are multiplicity and diversity of gifts is to create a healthy and a balanced church. Amen. So, number one. So, seven gifts are mentioned there. Let's look at it. Number one, prophecy. What's prophecy? Prophecy is speaking under divine inspiration of God. Amen. So, uh, First Peter. Let, let me check. One sec. Let me check this. It's, it's one of the Peters, chapter one. Okay, that must be Second Peter then. Alright. Verse 19. So let's look at the definition of prophecy in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. And I read. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So right here we see the definition of prophecy. What's the definition of prophecy? Speaking 
under the divine inspiration of God. Do we, do we all get it? So that's prophecy. Amen. And mind you, this is talking about the gift of prophecy, but not the office of a prophet. Okay, it's very likely that you can operate in a gift and not stand in the office. Amen. That, let, let me show you a typical example to make myself clear. Acts. Pray to God, I find the scripture. Okay, it should be Acts chapter 20. I hope I'm correct. Give me one second. All right, Acts chapter 21. Found it. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 21. Now, I just want to look at verse 9 and verse 10. Just that. Acts chapter 21, verse 9, verse 10. Now, the man there is talking about Philip. Philip had four daughters, verse 9, who prophesied. Okay? So, Philip had four daughters who prophesied. Look at verse 10. And we stayed there many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So, in these two verses, can you see something? You will see gifts. And then you will see office. Philip's daughters could prophesy, but they were not prophetess. They didn't stand in an office, but they could flow in the gift of prophecy. Verse 10 actually talks about somebody who actually did more than the gift of prophecy. He actually stood in the office of a prophet. So do you understand? So when I'm talking about Prophecy, I am not necessarily talking about standing in the office of a prophet. I am talking about flowing in the gift of prophecy. And that is very important to note because sometimes just flowing in a gift doesn't mean you are called into that office. Amen. Uh, what we also have to know is that prophecy is not only restricted to foretelling. Foretelling means to uh, have an idea of what is to come. I think that is the common definition we know about prophet where word of knowledge, especially word of knowledge or even word of wisdom because you can, word of wisdom is more about uh, giving a solution to a problem that could, that could happen days, days later or days before. So it, it's for, that's foretelling. But prophecy is also foretelling. And what do I mean by foretelling? 
It's also speaking the mind and the counsel of God. That's prophecy. That's why sometimes preaching is seen as prophecy. Because whenever you are, you are preaching, you are making known the counsel and the mind of God. Amen. And the Bible instructs us that when we prophesy, do it in proportion to your faith. That's very important. Do it in proportion to your faith. So, this makes me know that faith is measured. We all have a measure of faith. I don't know whether it's in units or centimeters or what have you, but we all have a certain proportion of measure. Do it in proportion to your faith. So, don't overstretch your faith when it comes to prophecy. I remember one time I heard the story of a prophet who went to prophesy. I think the Lord said, tell the woman that she will give birth to a baby. That's it. The prophet went, you will give birth to a baby. And then he went ahead. You give birth to a baby boy. And what happened is that after he went, he now went to go and fast. Lord, let it be a boy so that I will not disappoint it. I, I understand me. So the Lord said, just say baby. But when he went, he just added sex. So you, you've prophesied out of proportion of your faith. Amen. So let's learn how to prophesy and stay within the metron of our grace and our faith. Amen. That's why when you are flowing in your gifts, in as much it's good to admire certain people who also flow in that same gifting, don't just copy. Because all you have to understand is that what that person may be doing may also be in proportion to his faith. Maybe God wants you to be a prophet. Why? Because he wants you to intercede for people and pray for people. Maybe that's, your, that's the scope of your prophetic ministry. You may not have the gift of foretelling. You may have the gift of foretelling because when you intercede, you are making known the counsel of God's word by finding what is written in the scriptures and then praying it to pass. He too may be able to go into word of knowledge, word of wisdom, be able to mention people's phone numbers, addresses, blah, 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 which is all very scriptural. Are you understanding me? If you go and try that, you are out of proportion to your faith and then you bring shame and disgrace to your ministry. So, in as much as it's good to admire certain, certain people who flow in your same gifting, don't just dryly copy them. Amen. I admire certain teachers of God's word, but I will never teach like them. Because I realize, hey, it's, it's a faith level here. The person is able to flow and do what he's doing in proportion to his faith. And I will also do what I'm doing in proportion to my faith. Amen. Alright, so the next, the next gift we see there is ministry. What is ministry? It's defined as service. And a typical example of people who embody service are deacons. Especially in Acts chapter 6. And I believe by now, this church, we know Acts chapter 6, you know, Peter and Co. chose seven people who were to assist them uh, with the daily task of the church. And at that time, the pressing need there was to feed widows. All right, so they were of service. So a typical example there are deacons. So some of us have been called to serve. All of us have been called to serve. I don't think service is like some have been called others. All of us have been called to serve because we are to be like Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a servant. That's a minister. All right. So 
all of us have been called to service. So you might say, I don't know what is my gift. I'm not a prophet. Well, I'll be able to tell you, you are a minister. You are a servant. Now, find out where you can actually serve in the local church with your peculiar gifts that God has given to you. All of us have been called to serve. And, and serving means that you, you, you assist the leadership in the task that needs to be done. That's why I, I made the announcement last week Sunday. Was it last week Sunday? That we need volunteers. Yeah, we, we need volunteers. Amen. We need volunteers in the area of, you know, streaming and ushering and stuff like that. And we said, based on availability. You understand? So that service, that, that's a need. So I believe that God has called all of us to be ministers one way or another. We are to serve and to help in the neglected task of a local church. Amen. The third, the, third, the third gift there is teaching. And teaching is defined as explaining the counsel of God's word. Uh, I want to believe that um, during the church series, I really covered the role of a teacher. Amen. So uh, that should be covered. So some, like I said, may have the gift of teaching, but not the office of a teacher. So I want us to look at a typical example of a teacher in the Bible. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross over to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through, gra through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. So this man was a teacher. Maybe he was an itinerant teacher. Because the nature of his ministry lets us know he travels from place to place. And the Bible says that he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, especially concerning the baptism of John. And if you look at John's ministry, John taught mostly the Old Testament. So he must have been a scholar in the Old Testament. That's a strong teaching gift. But I like something I learned here about a teacher. One quality that every teacher has to have is you have to be humble that you don't know it all. And when you're a teacher, I'm telling you, it is a very hard pill to swallow that you don't know it all. You will be tempted to think that you know it all because a teacher by nature will spend basically more time studying the Bible 
than any of the four gifts. I mean, all the four gifts will read and study the Bible. Granted, but a teacher will spend more time because that is his expertise. And at times, it's very hard to convince a teacher that, yeah, you are eloquent, you might know this, but you don't know this. And for me, I learned this from Apollos a lot. Don't feel too big that you can't be corrected. This is not part of my message, but I feel like anybody who is called into the office of a teacher should have this strong quality. Don't feel too big to be corrected. And don't feel you know it all and you are the end of your. You still don't know some things. And as much as he taught accurately and was eloquent and was, um, and was mighty in the scriptures and was fervent in spirit, look at the descriptions. This man is not carnal. And he is no man of mean repute. Yet, he didn't know it all. He didn't know about Jesus. And he listened to a couple. I don't think he even asked them, what are your ministry credentials? But he listened to them. And when he listened to them, he changed his doctrine. Went to a place called Achaia. And then discipled those who had received the gospel. The teachers don't necessarily win souls. Teachers are great disciples. They help disciple and ground the souls who have been won by witnessing or by evangelism. Amen. But I really wanted us to see an example of a teacher here. Amen. And I, I think that Apollo's attitude that he exhibited here is neat. It's something that we can all learn from. Amen. So... A teacher is someone who can explain the counsel of God's word accurately. It's, it's a gift. Amen. The Bible says, if you are called into the gift of teaching, teach. So there are some people who might flow in the gift of teaching, but may not stand in the office of a teacher. Are you understanding me? Maybe a Sunday school teacher. Maybe a Bible study teacher. I'm not saying that Sunday school teachers are not standing in the office of a teacher, but not all Sunday school teachers stand in the office of a teacher. Some are just operating purely on gifts. And some too, they will be elevated from just the gift of teaching into standing into the office of a teacher. Not every Sunday school teacher will be like Derek Prince. Not every Sunday school teacher will be like Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer was a Sunday school teacher. But her, you know, her, her teaching ministry has evolved from just teaching Sunday school in her local church to now becoming a well-known teacher who is standing in the office of a teacher. But someone who may be called into teaching but may never have the opportunity to enter into the office. Why? Is it because the one who is operating in the office is greater than the one who is operating in the gift? No. We've learned that, okay? We have to understand God's sovereignty at play here. He's the one that gives gifts. Nobody is higher than anybody. God has just gifted us according to the proportion of our faith, according to the level of grace and the measure of faith. Amen. Alright. Number four. Exhortation. Exhortation has three words here. Admonish, encouragement, and comfort. Acts chapter 4 verse 36. There is a man there called Barnabas whose name was called son of consolation which means encouragement 
There are people who serve as great encouragers. Amen. They are there to encourage. I quite remember when my father passed away, you know, November, ne um, next two months will be five years. When he passed away, I think I, for the first time, I listened to Joel Austin. I listened to him a lot. I, I think I downloaded all his podcast uh, episodes. I think at that time he had about 200 episodes or something. I downloaded all of them and I listened to him every day. Every day. Every day. And you know, his messages are very short, like 30 minutes on point. It's like 30, 30000. I don't know how they do it. His messages are always 30 or 2956, though. So sometimes in, in an hour, you can listen to two messages. Or even when I'm driving to work, I could listen to maybe three. 30-minute messages, depending on the traffic and all that stuff. But I realized that in about two weeks of listening to him, I became greatly encouraged, extremely encouraged. And I, I don't really listen to Joel Austin. I don't know really too much about I have listened to him here and there. But for some reason, I felt like I needed to listen to him during my time of mourning and grief. And he was a great, great blessing. My wife can really attest to that. Amen. So... Uh, there are some people God has just gifted them with the gift of encouragement. Amen. But for some reason, I, I felt okay. There's been closure. You know, you will never be able to get over grief, but at least there is closure. You understand? And you are able to move on and not feel you are retrogressing. Amen. Because sometimes when people don't handle grief very well, they will retrogress in life. And that's very important. So for me personally, it's out of personal experience. I said, "Oh, listen to Joel Austin." And I know you are grieving, but try and listen to Joel Austin because he he really became a great source of blessing to me. Great, great source of blessing. Amen. All right. Number five, giving. And the Bible acknowledges us to do it in liberality, or as King James version says, simplicity. What's the meaning of the word simplicity here? Sincerely. And without a show. Sincerely and without a show. There, there are some people who really give. You know, I, I can think, think of and even contemporaries my mom. She's a giver. I mean, there, there are Christians like they give, oh, I have to give my tithe, I have to give my friend. There are some people too, they give beyond normal. Even sometimes when Pastor Jessica tells me, oh, this person gave such and such amount of offering, I can tell. It's a flowing or operating the gift of giving. It, like, it's not even normal. I'm like, no, that's not tithing. You think that's tithing? I'll tell you, that's, that's not tithing. No way that's tithing. This person does not receive X amount of... No, it's not tithing. It's a gift of giving, period. Yeah, so there are some people who just flow in that. And, and sometimes they become philanthropists. They become philanthropists. They are able to part away with large sums of money, uh, and they will give excessive. It doesn't even look normal. It, it doesn't look normal. They give, they give so excessively. But it's a gift. Amen. And the Bible tells us that we should do it in liberality or in simplicity. Meaning we should be sincere about it and do it without a show. Real people who give, they give without a show. I quite remember we started a church in 1st June 2014. Before we started a church, we had so much money. Why? Because... When I came and I told my mom I was going to start, she just started giving her types. She just come, there's type, that's offering. And even Pastor Jessica also did the same. She also gave type offering. So by the time we started church June 1st, we had about thousands of dollars saved, which is very unusual. 
because you are surrounded by people who can really give. Amen. So it's a great blessing. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 2 is a typical example. The church there is the church of Macedonia. And I do remember last year, Pastor Robert taught a message on giving and he cited them as a great example uh, for, for, for his case study, which, which was very powerful. The church of Macedonia gave so much, not because they abounded in materials. They were actually poor. Very poor, had no money, but they were very liberal. They, they were flowing in the gift of giving. That, that's it. Amen. So there are some people whose their giving levels may seem abnormal to you. It's a gift of giving. Anybody's giving that seems abnormal to you, they are flowing in the gift of giving. That's how you know it's a gift of giving. If it seems abnormal, if it seems outrageous to you, it is called the gift of giving. Amen. All right, number six, leadership. Leadership here is also called the gift of government. If you, especially if you read the, new, the, the King James Version, I'm sorry. It's, it's known as the gift of government. And there are people called by God to set things in order. That's what leadership does. In fact, next week when we go into Romans chapter 13, we will see uh, the gift of government in operation. Amen. And figures like Moses, Joshua, and David. You know, the Bible is also a leadership book. You can learn a lot of stuff from leadership. But I'll just restrict it to these three figures. You will see that they really flow in the gift of leadership. Moses, what he did. Leading 3 million people from Egypt and sojourned in the wilderness for 40 years. That was, it's, it's, it's leadership. Do you even see how Moses died? He was 120 years old. The Bible says his natural strength was abated. He had good eyesight. Good eyesight. He could see. Good eyesight. Moses, 120. Never visited Vision Works. Today I received my letter from Vision Works that I should come for my... Moses never received such letters. Never went to Vision Works. Are you understanding me? That's a gift of leadership. Do you know how depressed, do you know how depressed that can be? Amen. So it's gift of leadership. And he was a very strong leader. Look at Joshua. What leadership. For him taking over from Moses... I mean, that alone will even cripple you. Who will even do it? Like, I will be crippled. You want me to stand in the shoes of Moses? Oh, no, I will not disgrace myself. I'll tell you that is the voice of the devil talking. I'm not going to do it. Moses, I should replace Moses. No, but for Joshua to do that, that was the gift of leadership. And for him to be able to go and conquer a land that he went just because of prophecy. It's the gift of leadership. David too was the same. All right. Under David's reign, they had a great uh, kingdom, won many battles. And even his son Solomon, he operated at the gift of leadership at a point. Amen. So that's a very strong gift. And in the New Testament, Paul is another example. You know, Paul pastored pastors. Paul set things in order. Most of his books, he's setting things in order. Either uh, correcting doctrinal issues or correcting personnel, you know, troubles among trouble or issues among personnel. Amen. So there are people who are gifted or grace to do that. And the Bible says, do it with diligence. Amen. So that's it. The last gift is mercy. And mercy is extending your bowels of mercy to another. That's mercy. And the Bible says we should do it with cheerfulness. Docas is a typical example. Acts chapter 8, verse 36 to 39. 
I think we should read this. One of the people too that comes into mind when I think of mercy is Mother Teresa. At least she was the popular one. I'm sure there are many people who, who, who like, they do things beyond the natural act of mercy. Uh, there are so many people. But at least Mother Teresa was quite popular. She was known for that. Let's read. Now, as they went down the road, they, they, they came to some water. Oh no, what am I reading? Acts chapter 9, I'm sorry. Uh, did I say 8? Chapter 9, I'm sorry. Chapter 9, verse 36-39. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Docas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. That's messy. Dorcas took it upon herself to look after widows. And when she died, all the widows... But all they showed all the widows of Joppa, because that's where Dorcas said, all the widows of Joppa came and they showed Peter, look at what this woman did for us. She sold us garments and tunics. Her good works, her good works spoke, her good works followed her because she, she was merciful. The Bible says we should do it out of cheerfulness. Let me tell you something. Doing good to people can be exhausting. Honestly. And people can be ungrateful. If you don't take care, people can be very ungrateful. So do it with cheer. And do it as unto the Lord. Amen. I remember one time I had a friend in England. And there was this woman who saw that this guy was my friend. And was always trying to discouraged me from not making this guy my friend and i said but what this guy did to you he hasn't done the same thing to me and that was i said oh this person blah 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 stayed in my house i said but it was mercy do it with cheer. i remember i used to quote her this that she would get very angry i said no do it in cheer like no she's he stayed in my house i didn't rent this that i didn't charge him rent i didn't charge whatever the guy did as she claimed, honestly, if it's true, then that's very horrible. But I said, look, you're a Christian. You showed mercy. Just do it and cheer. Amen. And, and she didn't like it when I quoted this scripture. So I said, what do you want to do? Because he's going, I said, but he hasn't done the same. Thing. And, and truthfully, he's been my friend all these years. He has never exhibited that character. Amen. Maybe he has changed too. But what I'm saying is that if God has called you to extend mercy do it out of cheer because people can be very ungrateful know that yeah if you know, if if you think everybody you will extend mercy to everybody you will show acts of kindness to are going to repay you uh you've got another thing coming people are ungrateful 
So when God calls you to that role, please do it out of cheer. So in conclusion, everybody has a gift. You have something because you have received the grace of God with the accompanying faith to be of service in this house. I'm done for tonight. God bless you. Questions or contribution? So next week we start chapter 13. Amen. So we have three more chapters to go and then we'll wrap up the book of Romans. Amen. All right. If there are no questions, what did you learn or what did you take home today? I'll be glad if one person can tell me what they took home. Amen. That's powerful. Everybody has a gift. Everybody. Everybody can be of service. Do you know there is one thing you will never see in the house of God? I'll tell you. No vacancy. There is always vacancy. Amen. Let's begin to thank God that he has graced us. He has given us a measure of faith to be useful in this house. Let's begin to thank him. Let's thank God. Can we show appreciation to God? The giver of gifts. The giver of faith. So God has given us grace and faith so that we will be able to exercise our gifts and be of service to his house. Let's thank him. Thank you, Lord. Father, we are grateful. We come to you with a grateful heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for grace that you have given to me. Thank you for faith that you have apportioned to, to me to be of service. I thank you that out of this teaching, Lord, may I have sober thinking. May I not see someone inferior to me. And may I not feel that I'm superior than someone else. But help me to think in line with your thoughts. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray that whatever that gift you have given to me may come alive. May I apply the principle of use that will be of great service in your house. Thank you for what we've heard tonight. We pray that may this word call us into action to use our gifts to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming to Bible study. God willing, I see you on Sunday. Good night.